In Matthew 10, we're seeing Jesus sending out his apostles on what we have called a limited commission as they will proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the lost sheep of Israel. And one of the things that we saw last week in that first lesson is a picture of the heart of Jesus that he looks upon the crowds and rather than being disgusted by their sins or revolted by the fact of how evil they are, he uh, looks upon them with compassion, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd, seeing that they are harassed and helpless, uh, downtrodden and distressed. And in this, do you have Jesus setting forward for his disciples the expectation of what they will need to do as they go and proclaim this good news? And so the first picture uh, of this series that we saw is to be sent compassionately. In this section, we're going to notice that he is calling for them to be sent fearlessly. You'll notice that in verse 26 of Matthew 10, where he just simply says, So do not have fear of them. And this whole section revolves around how these disciples are not going to have fear as they go out doing this work and reaching the world with the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. Now, before he gets into how they're not going to have fear, he's going to explain to them what this mission looks like. And you'll notice that in verse 16. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, it reads there, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that doesn't sound too pleasant. Uh, I, I think that is an interesting way to start this section to say, now here's what this is going to look like. I want you to understand that you are going into a midst of wolves as you go out there. As you go do this message and proclaim the gospel, it's not sheep among sheep. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be very challenging. In fact, it's going to be threatening to use the image to say that you are going to be like sheep among wolves, which is an interesting perspective immediately for us to consider that Though we are observing the world as harassed and helpless and in need of a shepherd, that we are going out there with the good news to help, they're not going to see it that way. Even though our intent is to give compassion and help and hope of what the word of God does, they're not going to receive it that way. They are wolves and we are pictured as sheep in that process. But I want you to notice that he doesn't say, so you're going out like sheep among wolves, so never mind the mission. Everybody should just stay home and self-preservation and let's not worry about this because there's wolves out there. And sometimes that can be our mentality about reaching the lost is, well, it's kind of dangerous and kind of scary. You notice Jesus doesn't deny that. He says, yes, it is, but you'll notice verse 16. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, it's important that you recognize the metaphor here. He doesn't say, so go out there and be a snake. That's not what he's saying to us. He uses particular images, particular characteristics of what he's getting at. I want you to be wise or some translations shrewd. Well, at the same time, being like doves, innocent or harmless. And I think that is an important picture that is being given to us is that as we go into the world and we are proclaiming this good news, there's going to be the need for practical wisdom. 
to understand that there's going to be some shrewdness and wisdom that is necessary as we go out and proclaim this message to them, the need to act with caution as we go about helping the sheep. As I read this, I couldn't help but always think about if you've ever seen watched like Animal Kingdom TV shows where you get some animal that's caught like in barbed wire or some kind of thing. And you have somebody who's willing to go up there and try to get the animal out. But what's the animal doing to the person as they try to get them out? Absolutely pulverizing them in the process of trying to set them free. That you would have to act with wisdom as you are carefully and innocently and harmlessly trying to set the person free. To me, that's the idea of this wisdom shrewdness balanced with innocence and harmlessness is that our goal is to be pure of ourselves and harmless as we do the work, but understanding that we have to act with caution and wisdom in the process. And there are going to be those times where there's going to be difficulty, where there's going to be a response that comes back to us that can be harmful. And before we look at how Jesus explains that, I want us to think about that mission in terms of those two characteristics for a minute. That as we go into the world and we share the good news with people and we talk to our neighbors and friends and co-workers and acquaintances, family members and the like, do we maintain both of these aspects? Are we being harmless and innocent as we go into the world and try to show people Jesus? Do we maintain that quality of showing that harmlessness? Just giving you the gospel. I'm here to help. And at the same time, do we also show in our work that we are being wise and how we are approaching people and how we are talking to people and how we handle those circumstances. Because that's what Jesus is saying is going to be necessary is that we're going to have to walk in wisdom while at the same time being innocent and harmless in that process. And he tells them the reason why in verse 17, he says in verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you will speak or what you will or what you are to say for what you to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will have gone not. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I think what you have is an important summary of th- this work is going to be painful, and, and Jesus is very clear about that. This was not going to be easy as they were to go through and do this work in Israel and proclaim the gospel from town to town as Jesus has told them to do. He's not sugarcoating it and saying it's just going to be wonderful and easy, but giving them a real sense of what ultimately the gospel does. It, it, not only do you read there in verse 17 and in verse 18, you're going to go before courts and be flogged in the synagogues and dragged before governors and kings. But you'll notice there's a, a reasoning behind all of this. Did you notice that he says there in verse 18 that this was going to give these disciples the opportunity to bear witness about Jesus before them and the Gentiles. That these difficulties as they arose were to be considered by these disciples as an opportunity. 
And when we read through the book of Acts, you see the disciples doing that. Paul in particular really does that. Every time he gets arrested, put on trial, what's he doing? I'm here because of my belief in Jesus Christ. That's what he says over and over and over again. That's why I'm on trial. That's why I'm here. And you have Jesus saying these difficult circumstances are supposed to be looked at as opportunities. And I hope that we would think about the mission in that life. That sometimes we look at the hardships and the rejection and think, well, that means when we're, we're supposed to be quiet. And Jesus says, no, that's when you're supposed to keep talking. When you get before them on trial and they flogged you in the synagogue and you stand before governors and kings and before Gentile leaders, he says, what you're doing in that moment is you're talking about me. You're going to bear witness of me. I don't want you to stay quiet. I want you to speak all the more. And so he's pointing out that it's going to be painful, that it's going to be hard, and that it's certainly going to be challenging. But I want you to notice more of the picture. I I would suppose that verse 21 might be a particularly shocking declaration to read, to read that because of the gospel you were going to have in this, it's not just external enemies who stand against you. But he speaks of family betrayal here and family strife, father against child, children against parents, brother against brother. And notice it's not just turning them over and arresting them, but even uh, putting them to death. There's a picture here of the difficulty of the gospel and what that's going to cause even within families. And I think that's important to rest on for a moment and think about. Because sometimes we can have the tendency to think, well, uh, for the sake of the gospel, we need to maintain peace in our family at all costs. But there has to be also the recognition that the gospel is going to cause conflict. Is that if we have within our family people who are not uh, keeping with what God says, then that's going to bring up strife. And that's part of what Jesus is describing here. That isn't saying, now when it gets to family, you know, just back off on the gospel and you make sure you put family first. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, it's going to be bad. There's going to be betrayal. There's going to be strife. They're going to turn you over to the authorities and have them put you on trial because of your faith in the gospel. And so it's important to know that the gospel can cause friction in families. And you may have experienced that. Uh, You may have experienced that those difficulties as Either you became a Christian among a family that does not believe in Christ or you have taken a stand on something that is what God says that is true and right and moral and your family doesn't agree with you doing that and taking that stand and it causes that conflict and strife. That's what Jesus is talking about. It is going to be something that we have to be willing to rise up to that challenge. In fact, it's not only in family. You notice in verse 22, he says, by the way, you're just going to get hated by everybody. So this is real positive. You know, not only are you going to be flogged and and put on trial and go through these persecutions, and not only is it going to cause conflict within your family, notice it says everybody, there's going to be a hatred that's going to come against you in the midst of this. And again, it's not because we're ugly and nasty and not being nice people or anything like that, but it's a matter of some of what we've talked about even this morning. When we present the gospel, which says you can't live your life how you want to live and follow your own wishes and follow your own desires and do what you think is best and follow your heart, people are not going to like you for that. They're not going to like that message. We're in a culture, which is always the culture, 
that we want God to rubber stamp everything we want to do. We want to figure out some way to commit all the sins that we want and have God say that's okay. And we don't like it when somebody comes along and says, um, God said you're not supposed to do that. And that's the problem of verse 22 is that this hatred is going to come about because we're going to be telling people you're in sin. You need rescue. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the help and the hope for your life. We're going to be expressing that to people and there's going to be conflict and resistance and we might be hated by people. Now, here's the thing I want to underscore with that. As you think about verse 21, which talks about the family conflict because of the gospel, and verse 22 says people are going to hate you because of the gospel. What I want to say then is so if you experience that, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Because sometimes that's the way we feel. As well, wow, if society is, my friends are mad at me about me telling them about the gospel, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe if I just said it nicer or, you know, sugarcoated it some more or didn't say... You didn't do it wrong. Your family's not going to like you. Your friends are not going to like you. The world's not going to like you when you are standing and saying, here's what God says. And God says, this is what we have to do or obey or follow or think or believe. We're going to have people who are not going to like that. And we are going to have to be okay with that. In fact, that's what the rest of verse 22 says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's going to be easy to want to give up when everybody hates you. I don't think there's anybody that finds being hated by people pleasant. I think we would all prefer that people like us. It's not going to be pleasant when you go, okay, I'm going to tell them what the scriptures say. And that causes friction and strife and problems and conflict. And we have to be okay with that and endure to the end because of, of, of our faith. Now, As he has described, here's how bad things are going to be. It makes you wonder then, well, how are you supposed to be fearless in the midst of this? Jesus, you just said, we're like sheep going among wolves. We're going to be put on trial, dragged into synagogues. We're going to be flogged. Uh, Our families are going to be all against each other, even family members having them put to death. And all of our people of the world are going to hate us. So it seems like the logical response would be deep fear. (laughs) And yet you're going to tell us, I don't want you to be afraid as he gets to in verse 26. So have no fear. So what is he going to give? And I think there are four reasons in the rest of this paragraph that Jesus gives as to how to be able to not have fear in these kinds of circumstances, in this kind of environment. First, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Well, there's a a pretty simple message where Jesus says, everything you see happening to me is going to happen to you. That's the context of saying A servant is not greater than the master. We're not going to be better off. It's not going to go better for us than it went for him is the message that he's getting across. And you might wonder, well, how is that supposed to help us be fearless and, and, and all of that? Except I think there is a benefit to having this declaration that you know this ahead of time. 
Jesus is not sending his disciples out and they get blindsided. Wow, look at all this rejection. Look at all these problems. And look at all this conflict. And look how we're being put on trial. Look at all these difficulties. He's not allowing them to be blindsided. And I would suggest to you that when you know ahead of time that difficulties are coming, when you do this, that helps. That makes it easier to know this could get a really negative response And so I'm not surprised when I do. I'm not going to be just shocked and go, oh, no, what happened? I I can't believe it. That he's laying it forward and saying, we're not greater than him. And I hope we would think about that idea for a minute. We live in a religious culture right now that really indicates if we could somehow package the gospel in some particular way to make it the most palatable, then everybody else, everybody would come to it and receive it. And the reason why that's ridiculous is because Jesus is the absolute perfect teacher. Every word he said was absolutely perfect. He knew how to proclaim the gospel, package the gospel, market the gospel, whatever term you want to use, and it got him killed. So why do I think that I can come along with some really neat, fancy technique and that's going to make this all go real smooth? Uh, It's not going to work like that. The gospel is a stumbling block. The gospel says to people, you're in sin and you need to come to God. It says you can't keep living the way you're living. That's the crux of the problem. If we ignore the message of sin and eternal judgment and the need for repentance, we don't have the good news anymore. And we're all just sitting here, you know, doing whatever we want to do. And so often that's what the religious world wants to do is no longer talk about those things. Right there, he tells us in verse 25, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, if they called Jesus the devil, do you think they're going to malign you? Yep, they are. They are. As you try to go compassionately with the gospel, this is going to be a response. And so his first point is, to be ready for rejection so that he can say in verse 26, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And what I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. I think the second reason he gives for the need to be fearless in going out in the mission is he says here in verses 26 and 27, that God sees exactly what is happening. Don't be afraid because, verse 26, there's nothing that is hidden or covered that's not going to be known. I think the point that he's getting at here is that God absolutely knows what is happening to us. When we go, when we share the gospel with people, that response that's generated is not something that's hidden from God. And any kind of rejection or persecution or difficulty or conflict that we experience, it's not that God doesn't know what's going on. He says uh, what is done in the dark is going to be said in the light. What is heard as a whisper is proclaimed on the rooftops. Is there's a, a point here of God point making. I'm going to give the rewards to those who are needed, who need it, and I'm going to give judgments to those who are needing it. Nothing's being hidden in the dark. Nothing's hidden out there. God is fully aware of what is going on. 
The reason why I think this is an important point that he makes is you will notice that Jesus does not say, now the things of the hidden are going to be brought to light, so therefore you don't have anything to worry about. It's going to be comfortable and easy. But rather, it's going to be difficult, and when bad things happen and you're rejected, God knows exactly what's happening to you. And perhaps one of the best examples that you see of that is in Acts chapter 7. As Stephen is being killed, you might remember that you have Stephen seeing Jesus standing there. And in that line of sight, Stephen saying, you know, essentially don't hold this against them and, and, and being able to understand that God was seeing what was happening. God was fully aware of who was doing this and how all Stephen had done was give them the good news of Jesus. I think that's the, the message that's being given here is that we have a God who sees what is happening. And you'll be rewarded for your hardships. You'll be rewarded for the rejection, rewarded for the difficulty. God knows what you are going to endure in the process of proclaiming the gospel. And then the third thing, verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. I love this one. Where he just basically says, number three, your fear's misplaced. <laughs> I think it is interesting that he doesn't say in verse 28, don't fear those who can kill the body because they're not going to kill you. It's going to be fine. No, he didn't say that. He's indicating that's exactly what's going to happen. He would instead, what he says is you need to fear the one who has power not only over your physical life, but also your spiritual life. And our fear can be so easily misplaced. So easy is it for us to fear people. And I think it's important that we think about that motivation for a minute. That I think one of the big reasons we don't share the gospel is we fear people. We fear the reaction of people. We fear what they're going to say or what they're going to do. And I want you to notice up to this point, Jesus said, oh, don't worry about that. They're going to malign you and reject you. It's okay. So we're put, just putting that out of, out of the way. It's not going to go smoothly. You're not going to get 100% people embracing you and going, hey, this is great as you try to help them. But that's what the mission is. It is our call to go to them and give them the gospel because I fear God more than I fear people. I fear the one who has my destiny and my physical life and my spiritual life in his hands far more than what anybody else can do to me. And that's what has to move us and motivate us is I have to do what God wants me to do. And I'm not going to succumb to a peer pressure of any kind or a fear of what people may say or do as a, as a repercussion of any kind whatsoever. Friends, in our culture right now and in our day and time, we are going to be called arrogant, narrow-minded, intolerant, unenlightened, some other slanderous term along with it about our ignorance. That's where we're at right now. And you're not doing anything wrong if you're told, well, you are this because you believe in Jesus. You're a real dummy. You have, you're ignorant. You're, you're intolerant. You're stupid. You know, all those things that just get thrown around out there. That's going to happen. We should not fear that. 
We should not let that bother us. That should not rattle our souls that we go, wow, well, maybe I'm wrong. I've got this all all completely backward. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to fear him above fearing people. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he, interesting fellow, but he, he put it like, like this. He said, those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. Now, there's something accurate about that idea. Is that if you are afraid of what people are going to say and do, then you don't have the healthy fear of God that you need to have. And when you have that healthy fear of God, then you're not too concerned about what everybody's going to say or do to you. And that's how you can see these disciples and the Apostle Paul do what they do as they endure trials, endure hardships, endure persecutions, endure imprisonments. And even all of them, but we believe the Apostle John, are killed violently because they feared God above what other people do. And we see that in the scriptures. I mean, is not one of our favorites like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. We don't care what you think, O king. We're going to do what God tells us to do. And we're going to let the consequences fall where they may. Uh, I, I love that. I love Daniel. 30 days, don't pray. Daniel says, all right, I'll, I'll last about three seconds. Goes right to his window, opens the window right up and starts praying. Like, that's what I think about your law. Now, I'm going to do what God says. I'm not going to fear people. I'm going to fear God. And so you see Jesus teaching us this very principle is that we shouldn't be afraid of what people are going to say. And I hope that you would evaluate that fear just for a minute. Really, what's the worst somebody's going to do to you? I mean, really. Right now in our day and time, the worst somebody is going to do to you is they're going to call you arrogant, narrow-minded, intolerant, and unenlightened. Can you live with that? I'm good. It's fine. That's the worst that's going to happen to you. Or what we've read. Some people might not like you anymore. Okay. But I have to do the mission. I have to tell people what the word is about. I fear God above fearing people. And so that's the third reason to be fearless is that our fear is misplaced. We fear God and we make decisions based on what God wants, not out of a fear of people. And finally, number four, notice verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I think that's an interesting way to round out the reasons not to fear. You're valuable to God. Now, he uses an illustration that's, I think, a little bit distant for us. But when he asks the question, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He's observing in that day and time the, the relative insignificance of sparrows. So you could buy two for next to nothing. You wanted to go to the store, get two birds. A penny, you know, nothing. I was like, what can you buy for a penny in our world today? Nothing. You'd probably have to call it a quarter now. But figure out what you could buy for like a nickel. And you'd go, it's pretty insignificant what you're getting. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you, there was a, my mom hated me doing this, but there was always those 
gumball machines and toy machines if you stuck a quarter in. And, of course, she was grossed out by how dirty the things are, whatever's rolling out of there. But I didn't care. For a quarter, I could get some really neat plastic thing. Obviously, not very significant what comes at you for a quarter. That's the imagery he's getting at. Here's two sparrows. They're sold for next to nothing in that day and age. But notice what he says in, in verse 29. He pays attention to the death of a sparrow. You ever thought about that? Something as completely insignificant and affordable as two sparrows in that day and time. When they died, God took notice. And the whole point is that there's not any detail in our lives that's insignificant. There's not a detail that happens that God misses and goes, oh, I didn't catch that. (laughs) I didn't see that one happening. If he sees the most insignificant of events happening on the earth, then he asks the question there in verse 31, aren't you of more value than many sparrows? He said, just... Just get a pile of sparrows. You think you're more valuable than them? Of course you are. And if God is aware of everything that happens in creation, he is certainly aware of what is happening to you. And he uses that imagery in verse 30 that's beautiful. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. What what a thought. He knows every little detail about you. It's kind of silly to think that we could hide anything from God. He knows every little detail. The things that we would find completely insignificant. I wonder if anybody in their life has ever tried to count every single one of their hairs. It's an insignificant thing to do. Why would you ever do that? He's going, I got a bunch of them. But he says, I know. I know that all the, num- all the hairs of your head are even numbered before me. So no detail in your life is too small for God. And I hope that you would think about your life in God's hands in that way. Nothing would happen to you as you carry out your mission of being a disciple of Jesus without God knowing it's happening. God will see every word that's spoken against you. He'll see every act that's done against you. He knows exactly what is happening. And so you have no reason to fear because he values us and he he knows us. I want you to notice that as we kind of put all that together, the four reasons that he gives, and then we'll think about this big conclusion that Jesus gives. Number one, don't fear because we know we're going in as sheep among wolves. And one of the things I've tried to communicate with you, particularly over the past couple of years, is observing the shift in our culture away from a Christ-centered culture And that we're not a Christian nation. We're not even a post-Christian nation. We are an anti-Christian nation. We've moved strongly into that category. And as we observe that shift happening to us, these pictures are all the more real and relevant. We are sheep among wolves. Don't be surprised by that. That's the way it always has been. We were in a nice little bubble where it was okay and it was kind of more sheep among sheep, but that's not the case anymore. We are going into sheep among wolves and we know that that's the case. So don't be surprised at rejection. Don't be surprised at the responses you are receiving. Don't be surprised at the difficulties or the slander and be okay with that. Number two, God sees what's hidden. 
and he's going to respond accordingly. He knows what's happening. He sees if you're talking to people, sharing the good news, serving others, doing what God has called you to do. He sees every bit of those things and he sees the responses that are given back to you. And so you can put your life in his hands and go fearlessly into doing that work. Number three, we don't need to fear going out and doing the work because we are far more concerned about God's approval than the approval of people. We don't care what they think about this because this is life saving. This is the people's souls on the line. It is everything to us and we must share it with them. I look forward here in a couple of weeks when we kick off Ezekiel and we think about Ezekiel's given a very strong message of similar nature of how important it is that we be a people who give light to the world before there, before it's everlastingly too late. And then finally, you notice that God values us. He knows the details of our life and he absolutely cares for us. And so I want to think about being sent compassionately and fearlessly. But then notice verse 32 as we end. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. And Jesus rounds out this section about being fearless by saying, if we step back from the mission, Jesus will deny us in the presence of the Father. And I want you to just take a minute to just visualize what that would look like. Just think about that idea of judgment day before the throne of God. And think about this opportunity of here we stand and as Revelation depicts the books are opened. And you have Jesus coming into that moment and saying, I don't know who that one is. Matthew 7 depicts that one strongly. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, we know you. We did good deeds in your name. We proclaimed you. He's going to say, I didn't know you. That's what's being described right here is whoever denies me before people I'm going to deny them before my father. If we shrink back from the mission, that is what we are signing up for. That if we are afraid of what people think and what people will say and what people will do, here is Jesus saying, then I'm not going to know you. But notice the beautiful contrast in verse 32. If we acknowledge people, acknowledge Jesus before people, Jesus says there in verse 32, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Now visualize that for a minute. Imagine the day of judgment and the books are opened. And Jesus is able to come in and say, my blood covers that one. I know who that one is. They acknowledged me. They lived their life for me. They confessed and were not afraid. And therefore, I'm not ashamed to call them my brother or sister and that they belong to me. I don't care what people say because I want to hear that. I want that to happen. And Jesus says it will happen if we'll be sent fearlessly into the mission work that's before us. Let's go to God in prayer.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we can allow fear to control us and keep us from saying what we ought to say. Speaking up about you as we ought, proclaiming your truths, defending the faith, telling people about sin, encouraging people to repent. And we can fail to do these things out of fear. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have closed our mouths, for the times that we have stepped back from saying more about you. Forgive us for not acknowledging you as we ought. And forgive us for allowing fear of what people may do or say to keep us from serving and living and saying the things that we ought to say. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. Give us a great boldness. Give us a boldness that sees that it's not about the response, but about doing your will. Give us a boldness to not be afraid of what people could possibly say about us. Give us the boldness as we remember that we are valuable to you and you see everything that happens in our lives. Give us the courage we need for the task before us. Help us to reach souls. Help us to proclaim truth. And Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunities to share this good news that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would send them to this building so that they could hear your word. I pray that you would send them into our lives and the various things that we do in the world, whether it be in work, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships, that you would send us opportunities to talk more about you to them. And so give us the courage to speak and give us the eyes to see that the field is white to harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus. If you were convicted and desiring to become a Christian this very evening, we want you to do that. Turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We want you to have that opportunity. Let us know what we can do for you in helping you and serving you. Come forward now while we stand and while we sing.